Father, we come before you this morning and we come in need of you. We need you every hour. We need you every moment. And we come in need of you and your word today. And so help us, Lord. Each and every person here, you know them and you know them full well. You know they're rising up and they're sitting down. You know them before they were born. You, you know them from all eternity. You know them better than they can know themselves. You know their thoughts even now. And so may you give them grace, Lord. Give each of us grace as we seek your face this morning. And so we come and we pray in view of your gracious and your tender care, which is so great and so great. And we come in thanks for your precious son, Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and he is our Lord. And so we come, we pray also in view of your mercy, which is so incredibly persistent. It's persistent every day. And for us in Christ, it's not that we're coming as though we're better or, you know, greater or more righteous than others. It is because of Christ and Christ alone. And so we come in view of mercy and we live by mercy. And so help us, Lord, to come in view of these things this morning. That we come in all of them and all of you, O God. And so may you help us, Lord. May mercies and the grace that are in the gospel be before us as we go to your word and we consider it, we ponder it. May you help us to be watchful, even ready to examine ourselves as we read in Psalm 139 earlier. Because you call us not to simply come to these services and just be entertained, but we are to come under the word of God and breathe it in and take it in and let it affect every aspect of our lives. And so we ask for that. We ask that you would indeed lay our hearts bare before you right now and that your word would expose anything in our lives or our hearts or our minds or in our families or anything about us that we would simply bring those and be ready for you to sanctify and change or even perhaps if we don't know you this morning to save. And so we come to you recognizing you are everywhere present. That means you are here right now. And so may you be with us. Help us to walk by faith and help us to receive your word by faith this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of James. We'll be continuing our study walking through this letter with James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. How would you like it if everywhere you went there were landmines? So I'm sure you know what those are. (laughs) These explosive devices hidden in the ground. Well, how would you like it if you had no idea whether they were there or not, whether you're coming to church or going to work or going to the grocery store? You had no idea if perhaps there may be landmines along the way. Well, I would imagine, answering for you, that you would not like that in the least, right? Because landmines are no good. I mean, If you encounter one, it's not only perhaps going to hurt you, it will even take your life, even take the life of your children. 
or even worse, you know, hurt many, many people all around us. Well, someone once compared people to landmines. He said some people have relatively few minds and interacting with them does not often provoke anger. Others have minds lined up side by side from one end of the field to the other, and it does not take much to push them over the edge into a fiery rage. Now, I'm sure most of us have known people like that, or if we're really being really, really honest with ourselves this morning, which I want to encourage you and all of us to do, it could even be that you are that person. That when people come around you, you're like a landmine. They have no idea what to expect or when perhaps you might explode. Well, either way, and whatever side of that you're on, all of us admit and know that we all experience anger, right? <laughs> all of us have been angry at someone at some point or another, whether it be to greater or lesser degrees. Every single person in this room, whether you're a child or an adult, you have experienced anger. And so this is not some foreign thing to every single person in this room. We know of this. And we might even be challenged with this, even during this service, even as you hear the word of God preached, or maybe even after you leave here and you get on the car and you get in an argument, like, we're going to go eat at a restaurant. Well, I want to go here. No, I want to go here. And you get angry. And so it could happen. And so we know this very personally. It's a struggle that we all face, and there's no doubt about it. We will face it again. And so anger, whether it's big or small, whether it's simmering or boiling or overflowing, the Lord, he is calling us this morning to look it directly in the eyes. Wherever you are on the spectrum, he wants us to deal with our anger this morning. He wants us to deal with ourselves, hence Reading Psalm 139, coming with this heart this morning, Lord, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That is to be our heart this morning because every single person in this room deals with anger. And so the Lord is calling you to look it in the face and to deal with it in your hearts, which won't be easy. And so let's do that. And let's have a readiness to address it and to receive, as James will say, as we'll see, to receive the implanted word. So I'll read here beginning in verse 19. May God give us grace to hear and to receive his word this morning. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, as I said before, we all know about the anger that James is talking about here. And we know of it not just in trials. Now, if you remember, this is the context from which James is setting all of this before us. And so we saw it right out, out of the right at the get-go as the letter begins in chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all, my jo- all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so we encounter this, though, this anger, not just in trials, right? But, but trials can aggravate these things even more, like circumstances, things you're going through, sickness, struggles at work, and questions about money, challenges, or perhaps conflict in your marriage or with your children, and so on. Trials can aggravate these things. Now, what I mean, though, by aggravate is not kind of a distancing of yourself from your anger, like it's their fault and it's the trial's fault, persecutors. It's your fault, whoever that may be. But trials, they can act like sifters. They can bring out what's already there in us. You know, as Jesus, he said in Matthew chapter 15, he said, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, and slander. And this is part of why James is discussing this now. Trials and really all sorts of things can act like that. They can act as sifters in our lives. And the challenge is, is seeing that what comes out of your mouth It's not because of the trial itself. It's not because of your spouse. It's not because of your children. It's not because of church members. It's not because of, you know, co-workers. But it's something that's coming out because it's already something that is in your heart already. It's coming from you. Not from your children. Not from your spouse. And not from your co-workers. Now saying all that. It probably hurts. Because <laughs> we would rather. Especially when we're angry. To point the finger at somebody else. And that's usually what anger is doing. Right? You're the problem. And we're angry at them. But the anger coming out. Is from us. Completely. Completely. And it can hurt to realize this about ourselves. But we need 
to realize that about ourselves, that this anger that's coming out towards your family or anyone else, it's coming from you. It's not because of them, it's because of you. And that's hard. <laughs> that means we've got a lot of things to work on. <laughs> we got a lot of things to work on in our hearts. And so seeing this, though, should cause us to see this first point here, and even perhaps you're already feeling it, but it should cause us to long to be sanctified. To long to be sanctified. Now, when we talk about sanctified, if you've never heard that term, it means to, to make holy, and I'll talk more about it in a second, but we're not talking about salvation here. When we talk about sanctification, we're not saying that you must get yourself all cleaned up before you come to Jesus Christ and then he'll accept you. If I get rid of this and get rid of this and get rid of this, then finally, maybe, and that's, that's the key there, maybe Jesus will accept me. Because, right, there's never a point in your life when you'll ever really know if you're clean enough, Right? I mean, it's just going to keep on going throughout the rest of your days. Is this enough now for maybe God to accept me? Well, you don't know. A terrible place to be in. And so it's not about cleaning yourself up. And you can't do that anyway. <laughs> but you come to Christ. And he is the one who makes you clean. It's not about you doing anything at all. It's about what he has done and what he can do. That Christ came and died and was buried and he rose again and he did it all. Not of you, all of him. All of grace and the grace of God. And so after you know Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, he begins to sanctify you. He begins growing you to make you more and more like Christ. And he begins to grow you in godliness and in holiness in all of life. And don't get it all backwards. Because if you think that you're going to try to get yourself clean to get to heaven, you will not be with God ever. Because you cannot take care of your sin on your own. You need Christ and all that he did on your behalf to save you from your sins. Now this, though, the sanctification for us as believers, we're not to think, well, that's what I, I he saved me, now I'm doing that. Well, Jesus, he bought the sanctification part of it, too. <laughs> he didn't just buy part of the package, he bought the whole thing. So it's not left to us at all. He bought it all for us. Justification, sanctification, glorification, not relying on me, only on Jesus. And we say, praise the Lord for that. Because if at any point it was reliant on me, there is no hope for me. You just give up on me right now. And we see this, this is exactly what Paul, he tells us in 1 Corinthians. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 
Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He did it all. Now in hearing all that, we also are on the other side of this. Another area we could go into is say, well, all right, just going to do... Just going to live and God's got to do the sanctifying. Which is right in one sense. I mean, it's his grace. But then we're laboring and we're pursuing to walk in Christ and to grow in Christ with everything we are because we love Christ more than anything else in this world. He is our life and so I long to be more like him. And so we are by his grace, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then if you're thinking on that, well, there's me doing it. But then right after that in Philippians 2, you know, 12 through 13, for it is God who is at will to work in his good pleasure. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God at work to will and work for his good pleasure. So he's doing it. We're doing it. For we're doing it with everything we are, but it's all by the grace of God. And so then the Lord this morning, he is taking a magnifying glass. And what he's doing, and he's calling us to be sanctified in, specifically is in respect to anger. And in this, we ought to long to be sanctified. And if you're a believer here, I know that's what you long to do. Long to be more like Christ. Because I know I do as well. And I know that's exactly what we see the saints do throughout the word. And so we need to labor that we would not be the landmines that people are avoiding. When people see you, they think, I have no idea what makes this person angry. If I say this, they get angry. If I don't say this, they get angry. If I don't say hi, they get angry. If I say hi, they get angry. I don't know what to expect. And so we're not to be those people. But instead, what God is calling us to be in the world and here is to be like gospel gardens that welcome people in and declare the gospel and give all glory to God. That's what we're to look like and to be like. And so we need to see here then, as we long to be sanctified, we need to see here in these verses what fleshly anger does not do. What fleshly anger does not do And this is what it does not do. It does not please God. It does not please God. Now we're, perhaps you see this, but we're going about this a bit backwards here. We're beginning with verse 20, not verse 19. But this is where James, he grounds the exhortations that he gives us in verse 19. So we'll begin there. And so he says in verse 19, know this, 
So you need to understand, you need to know this, what James is saying here, clearly in your mind and in your heart. And he says in verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now we aren't to think upon hearing this in verse 20, okay, so I need to progressively gain more and more righteousness until I die so that my righteousness cup will be full enough for God to accept me. That's not what James is talking about here. He's not saying like, you know, we're like maybe this full of righteousness right now in Jesus and maybe one day we'll get all the way to the top. No, no, no. He's not talking about any of that. If you know Christ, you're righteous right now. All the way home. And so he's not talking about you getting more and more righteous until you die, hoping that maybe you'll be full enough for God to accept you. This is not justifying righteousness that he's talking about here. He simply means this, that the anger of man is not pleasing to God. It's not good nor fitting for those who know Jesus. We aren't to walk in this kind of anger, in this kind of anger that he's talking about here. It is fleshly. That's why he says the anger of man. That, that means that this anger, it is spiritless. Now we might, you know, as we're living our lives and you may not intentionally think this, but you might be thinking this nonetheless. We might secretly think, you know, as we're going through our lives and at work or at home or wherever we are, and we think that, you know, we're the Hulk, you know. And we like to think to ourselves every so often, you don't want to see me when I get angry, Right? We might be going around with people that in the background of our minds thinking, oh, but you don't want to cross me. And if you do, you're going to see what happens. I think that perhaps some of us are right there. <laughs> we have that kind of heart going on, this Hulk, you don't want to see what I'm like when I get angry mentality. James is saying that if you know Jesus Christ, that is not to be you. If you have that in your heart, God is calling you to take that before him and examine it this morning and to get rid of it. And that's exactly what we're to long to be and why we're to long to be sanctified out of this kind of anger. So this kind of anger, the anger of man... It does not please God because it's not about God. <laughs> it's not about God at all. It's godless, ungodly anger. So what is at the center of this kind of anger? Well, self. <laughs> the self is at the center of this anger. You know, so someone has broken our standards. And man, that causes us to burn. Maybe even more than when someone breaks God's standards. 
Think about that. What that's saying about your heart. You know, Proverbs, it warns us of the danger of anger again and again and again. And in Proverbs 29, 22, it says this. A man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. Now, what does that sound like to you? Sounds like a landmine. (laughs) Wherever this person's going, when their anger explodes, it causes much transgression. And they do this in the church. They do this in their home. They do it with their families. They do it in the workplace. And what happens is damage goes everywhere. And it's not mild or innocent or something that's just, oh, it's just, it's just him. That's just the way they are. It's wrong. It's sin. And so we need to be careful here. We need to be careful because sin is so incredibly deceitful. <laughs> it's so often in carefully reasons itself away, right? It finds a way to say, well, I was angry, but it's okay because of this. And man, we can find our way out of so many things that way. Oh, I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Oh, I'm not angry. I'm upset. You know what you're doing, don't you? That heart of yours is wiggling about, trying to find a way out to say, I am not to blame for this. I, oh no, I'm just a passionate person. You don't know me very well then if you think this is just anger. I've heard people say that. And they are totally angry and sinfully angrily. And they're saying, I'm just a passionate guy. You know, that's why I'm like this. No. (laughs) Or maybe we'll say, well, that person had it coming. Someone had to say something. No one else was. I said it. And so often the standard that was broken at that moment was your standard. Or maybe it was just even a cultural standard. But was it God's word that was broken? Or maybe we'll say, no one treats me that way. No one talks to me that way and gets away with it. Did you notice the word there? Me? (laughs) No one talks to me that way. Friends, our sin is so sly. It's so deceitful. And so we have to be just as ready to take on and deal with our sin this morning. To not give it wiggle room and say, well, I'm going to let a little door open here, door open here. We need to say, I'm going to deal squarely with you this morning. 
God says this is not pleasing to him. And that matters to me. Because I long to be like Christ, my Savior. And I love pleasing my God and my Savior. And so we need to see that this is fleshly and this is not spirit-led. So how do you know the difference? Well, ask yourself a few questions. So here's a few questions for you, not in the notes, but you can take notes if you like. Is your anger mainly about you and your hurt feelings? There's one. Who's at the center of this anger? God or you? Is a desire or want of yours not being given, not being honored, not being respected? There's another question. And this gets at the core, even perhaps putting perspective on those other questions. Are you loving God? Are you honoring God? And are you, don't forget this other one, are you loving others? And so often, we could even say, I'm honoring God, but the loving other part isn't there. God calls us to both. Another question. Is it self-righteousness? In other words, you're demanding that others meet your standards. God hasn't given the word on it. But your family does it this way. This has been your practice. This is your routine. This is what our culture does. And they broke your standard. So I hope you're seeing that behind our anger might be all sorts of things. Pride. Unbelief. I don't believe that God's going to help me in my family or deal with this issue unless I just let someone have it. Control. People are taking control away from me. And that is not okay. Not in my family, not in my home, not in my church, not in my workplace. Nowhere. I'm in control. If you are a person who wants control and someone goes against that, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to get angry. Which relates right into idolatry. Perhaps it's an idol. And a brother or sister comes to you and says, listen, this isn't good. And you love your idol. (laughs) And so you are going to let them know that no one's going to talk to you this way about that. It could be fear. It could be worry. It could be discontentment. And on the list goes. But notice that all of those begin with you. And so ask yourself, is this what walking in the Spirit of God looks like? As you respond, as you 
are dealing with anger in your heart. Is this what walking in the Spirit of God looks like? Are your words, is your tone, are your actions indicative of the fruit of the Spirit? And if they're not, you have good reason to do exactly what the Lord is calling us to do today. To examine your heart, your life. This anger, fleshly anger, is not where we are to be and not what we are to walk in. And so James, praise the Lord, (laughs) he tells us how we are to walk and what we are to do. Now, verse 19. So first, we are to really listen. We are to really listen. So he says, be quick to hear. And note, it's not the reverse of all these words here, right? You know, be slow to hear. (laughs) Be quick to speak. Quick to anger. He doesn't say that, right? Because, I mean, anger does that, right? Anger acts. It does not listen. And it so often does not want to listen. Well, you and I were called to listen And you're not listening so you can just wait your turn like you're ready to get them, like blast them as soon as they're done. Like, I waited though. I was slow or I was quick to hear. (laughs) But you're listening intently in order to understand, in order to find a resolution, in order to aim yourself to be a peacemaker as Christ calls you to be. And so your, atten- your intention is God-centered and selfless. And then second, think before you speak. Think before you speak. This is, this is being slow to speak, as James says here. You know, anger, it is insistent, isn't it? You know, act now, think later. And this means you're not just reacting nor bubbling with an anticipation for your turn to speak. What you're doing is you're thinking, you're praying, you're considering their words, and you're gauging your own. And it might even mean that you're not going to say anything whatsoever. Slow to speak for the glory of God. And in all this, in both of those, Our aim is to exemplify the love of Christ. To exemplify the love of Christ. So slow to anger, James says here. And this is what all this is about. How are you exemplifying, walking in Christ-likeness in your response to others? To anyone in your life. How will you, in your response, display the gospel? Display the love of Christ. Display that when someone hits you on the right cheek, you'll give them the other also. How will you display the fruit of the Spirit? And so consider this for yourself. Make it personal here. I mean, when you sin, 
I mean, do you want, what do, what do you want when you sin? Do, do you want anger, wrath, justice, or mercy, <laughs> right? Well, you are to live, we would say mercy, right? When we commit sin, we don't want, like right now, if you leave here, or even right now, maybe you're sinning in your heart in some way. Do you want God to bring justice on that right now? Oh, man, I guarantee you, you want mercy. Well, we are to live exemplifying the mercy and the grace and the kindness that Christ has shown us and that we are being shown every single day. That's how we are to live, as these gospel gardens that are beautiful and make no sense to the world. Now, at this point, I know maybe and probably some of you are biting your lip and you're just waiting to say in your home group or me afterwards and say, but there's such a thing as righteous anger as well. Right? I know you were thinking it. Open that door a little bit, maybe. Psalm 4, 4, Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. Be angry and do not sin. Yes, there is such a thing as righteous anger. And I find it informative that Ephesians, he says, be angry and do not sin. He goes right there immediately because he knows that's going to be right around the corner. Even with righteous anger, what you need to know is that it is hair thin. A hair of difference gets you right back here with the anger of man. And that's what James is talking about here. Righteous anger, it is concerned about God and his glory primarily. Because what is the believer doing? They are denying themselves, taking up the cross and following Christ. So it is not about self. Your life is about God and his glory. So every interaction, how may I glorify you, O oh God? Someone just punched me in the face. How can I take this to the glory of God? Denying myself. Because I won't want to. I'll definitely want to get in there and fight back. But that's so often not what our anger is. And that's what James is dealing with here. Someone broke our standard. They didn't respect us. They didn't notice us. They didn't do something. And so we're angry with them. It can be anyone. And so we need to be asking ourselves, are we exemplifying the love of Christ? Are we walking in the fruit of of the Spirit of God and how we respond, react, and treat others. Now, James, he dives deeper here, though. He points us to the gospel here, or verse 21, to the implanted word. So with verse 21 here, he's bringing it home for us. 
You're being called to apply the gospel to your life. And so we saw this emphasis, if you remember, back in verse 18 as well. You know, there James, he uses the phrase, the word of truth. So this word, or more specifically, the gospel, it is to have the definitive influence over your life, all of it. The implanted word is why he says everything else that he says here. It's why he calls us to get rid of the dirt. And that's what he basically is saying, you know, put it away. So the filthiness and rampant wickedness, get rid of it. It means literally like strip it off like clothing, like tear it off, get rid of it, put it away, burn it, have nothing else to do with it. That's what he's talking about here. Get rid of them. And so this filth, it's a moral filth. It's any evil or sin that is in us, including the anger of man. Now let me just ask you here, you know, when you go and you take a bath or shower, do you go and you bathe in your trash? Man, I just love trash. You know, just bathing in it. It's nice. Is that what you do at home? You know, or, or do you use axle grease for your lotion? You know, make you look nice and make your skin all smooth? Do you eat dirt for breakfast? Man, a good bowl of dirt just gets me going in the day. Is that, is that what you do? Of course not, right? I mean, if we were pigs, filth would be great. Yes, bathe me in that trash. It's amazing, you know? But that's not what we are. We're not pigs. If you know Christ, you have been cleansed you have been washed you have been made new and so filth and wickedness of all sorts it's unbecoming it's inappropriate it is to be thrown off and is to be thrown away it's no good instead we're to live by the implanted word the gospel of Jesus Christ Christ has made us clean. And so we're to go out into the world, into our marriages and with our children and in our churches and live that way. Hence, the implanted word is to direct your life. It is to direct your life. And you might be asking, why in the world does he say that? Why does he use that phrase, the implanted word? seems kind of odd. Well, he's, what he's doing here is he's taking us a bit back in our Bibles. He's alluding to what God said that he would do. And now, if you know Christ, what he has done. And what is that? Well, Megan, she read a moment ago from Jeremiah 31. And what did God say he was going to do? I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts 
And then we see it again in Ezekiel chapter 36. It says there in verses 24 through 28, God, he says of this new thing he's going to do, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And God, he has done that through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has given, if you know Christ this morning, he has given you a new heart. He has given you a new life. He has made you Clean, and now you are walking and you are living defined by the implanted word. So, in our spiritual veins, now gospel blood runs and beats from our hearts and it flows from our lives. And God did that. And I'm not just saying that, He did it, and He told us He did it. In verse 18, right? Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And this is why he says the gospel is able to save your souls. Because it does, it is, and it will. And so now you are to be defined by the word in every way beginning with your affections, your affections. You have a new heart that beats for God. You're not dead anymore if you know Jesus. And your heart belongs to God. We just read it in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel. It's no longer defined by moral filth or anger and sin It's to be defined by the word and the gospel. And this is what James means by receiving it. That we are to be defined by the gospel. Your affections, your emotions that you have, they are to be defined by the word. They're to be defined by the new heart. You can't just say, I am this way or am this way. Well, the way you are to be now is defined by, is by your new heart, by Christ who has saved you. And so rather than anger, the gospel and kindness and forgiveness and gentleness and love is what you are to be defined by. You're to be defined by the Spirit of God and rather than filth, gospel, grace, And spirit-empowered holiness are what comes from you by the grace of God. And so new hearts 
If you have a new heart this morning, when you see this filth in your life, you want it off of you. You want it out of your life. You want it out of your home. Because your life is his. When you see the anger of man, maybe even today as you are, here with these verses, and you want it off. You want it out of you. And so we are to be defined by the word in our affections, and we are to be defined by the word in our actions. Now James, he'll go on to talk more about this in the coming verses, but these two affections and actions, they overlap in many ways. Even as we saw Jesus said a moment ago in Matthew 15, right? You know, flowing from the heart. Well, flowing from our heart. New heart. A gospel heart. You are to live because now you live by the gospel. And so for the believer, if you are the believer here, if you are a believer here this morning, this pricking of your heart maybe making you shift in your seat a bit, this exposing of sinful anger this morning, it might hurt. But what we say as believers is we say, thank you, Lord, for your good, gracious, merciful, disciplining hand that you do for your children. Sanctify me more, Lord, and show me any wicked way within me. That's our heart. And so may it be that this morning you would receive this word humbly and with meekness as James says here. And the truth is you likely already know it. You probably already know that you're the landmine everyone's avoiding. You know that People are, have trouble with you and you just explode and you don't even know how to deal with it. Well, James is giving us a path forward in this. With you as a husband or wife, with your spouse or with your children. There's more there than just that. You're, maybe you're, they're getting on your nerves or whatever else. And so receive the word with meekness this morning and lean in to the Lord, trusting in Him fully. Now, for others of you here, it could be that if you're honest, you've been talking a good game. <laughs> you've been acting the Christian, but you know you're not. You know you're not. You know something is not right. And all of this church stuff, the Bible, it just seems like a weight you can't carry. I mean, you didn't want to come today. You may not even want to be here right now. And you may think that you're a believer. And you know you're not. You know all this Bible, church stuff, is a weight that you just simply cannot carry well, friends, that's because you can't. <laughs> you can't carry it. You, if you haven't had a heart transplant, the word is not implanted 
in you. It's just the same old you. There is still no life there. It's all just a facade. It's all fake. It's all moralism. It's all just being, learning nice virtues or whatever it may be. Well, today, may you receive the word of life this morning. May you be free this morning. May you see that in Christ there is life. And may you look to the Savior of the world who can give you a new heart. No more pretending. No more facade. No more masks. No more pleasing of people or religiosity. You just give Him everything. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So call in His name. And He will not fail. He will answer. And He will save you this very day. And so let your life be His. And have life this morning. And so as we hear all these words, may we receive them. May we receive the implanted word with meekness. And rather than being defined by the dirt or landmines, may we be defined by the implanted word, by the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. May the Lord work in your heart this morning. May he save the lost and may he sanctify his children. Let's pray. Father, we come before you here this morning in view of the hard word. But I thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for this word that challenges us and not some distant thing, but something that every single one of us has to deal with. And we'll deal with it probably before the day is out. (laughs) And so we pray, Father, that you would sanctify us as we long for sanctification. May you help us to set the gospel fully in our sights. May we be defined by it. May we ask these questions of our sin and of ourselves. May we not be okay with anger the anger of man in our hearts and lives with those around us because they are landmines. They destroy families. They destroy churches. They destroy all variety of things. And so help us to receive with meekness the implanted word this morning. And we pray for those here who may not know you. They're seeing even now that their heart is not new. They put on a good face. But that's about it. We ask that you would, Lord, save them this very day. May you open their eyes to the gospel that they would believe it and seek it or fully receive it. And they would know Christ this very day, we pray. And so help us, Lord, as we respond, may you take our life And let it be yours, holy and fully, in Jesus' name.